Thinking Out Loud on America Out Loud. That's right, here we are again, thinking out loud about all things related to faith, and especially faith as we understand it to be absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. I'm the pastor of Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida, a real church with real people. We have the same challenges you have. Maybe we have a few more, maybe we have a few less, but you know, wherever I've been in my ministry in the church, I have found people facing challenges and churches facing challenges. And here, we want to stretch in God's direction. We don't want to shrink from those challenges. We want to stretch toward Him. We want to have confidence in Him. And so we spend this time every week, and I'm glad you're here. We don't do this for our own well-being. We don't do this so we can hear ourselves talk. I hear that plenty, and other people would probably say they hear it plenty too, but we do it so we can help each other develop confidence in God. And so we think out loud. Now, thinking out loud doesn't mean that I don't think about what we're going to talk about a little bit or prepare a little bit. I I do, but I also kind of enjoy this time where we can just kind of think about things and talk about things, and sometimes we jump around a little bit from subject to subject. Sometimes you might say, what's he talking about there? Because maybe I skip ahead because my brain makes a fast forward start without realizing it. But in all of this, what we're really trying to do is not so much hear me deliver this wonderful, wonderful program as much as we're trying to challenge each other and stretch each other. And I'm trying to prod us, prod myself into stretching toward God and having confidence in him. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. We want to talk about, all right, some of you are going to just think this is terrible because you're not supposed to talk about politics in relation to religious faith. But we want to touch on that a little bit. And then I apologize to all of you because I really messed up. I don't know. It's one of those brain glitches that we're supposed to have had an instant sermon session. And I failed to do that because the calendar made us change a few things here at church, and so then I just missed it. I had intended to do it otherwise, but I, we'll, we'll make it work, so we'll do some instant sermon stuff today. But let's, let's first of all think about this idea of, of absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And one of the things that I've been thinking about is that so often in the Old Testament, and I know people are saying, well, the Old Testament doesn't matter much. Oh, it matters don't neglect it. In fact, I don't think you can really understand what God is doing when you get to the New Testament without understanding what happened in the Old Testament. But that's a discussion, a conversation for another time. But I've noticed that throughout God's struggle with his people, and I don't think that's too strong a word to say that God and the people struggled. God struggled trying to get them to understand. They struggled Trying to, trying to figure out how they could go their own, own way and push God aside in some cases. And other times they struggled with, how do you get along with a God like this that could annihilate us with a glance? And, and that's true. We tend to forget that God is really that powerful. And yet they struggled together, and God did not abandon his people. He had made covenant promises as far back as Abraham He had renewed those covenant promises when he called Moses and said, I want you to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go so they can worship me. 
he renewed those covenant promises at Sinai in spite, and this is this really, this should boggle our minds, in spite of the people, while Moses and God were up on the mountain talking, the people abandoned God and built an idol. We often call it, rightfully so, the golden calf. And still God struggled with those people. He had gotten them out of Egypt. They had gone across the Red Sea on dry land. He'd gotten them to Sinai. He'd revealed his magnificent presence to them in fire and smoke and all kinds of noise. And I mean, it was just magnificent. It's hard to imagine what it must have looked like. But anyway, here's God and Moses talking about how they're going to go forward and get along together and all of this stuff while the people are down abandoning God, fashioning an idol and worshiping it as though God had abandoned them and not kept his promises. And over and over that struggle continued that God would be faithful and he often expressed it. You can read it in the pages of the scriptures. It's one of the advantages of reading longer portions of the Bible, reading a whole book, reading the whole story of God. And and speaking of the story, if you've not seen the book that was put together called The Story, it really is the Bible, using the New International Version translation, the Bible as a story. And so you can read from the beginning to, to the end, and I urge you to do that. You may not like the NIV for whatever reason, the New International Version translation. I understand it has some weaknesses, it has some strengths, We all have our preferences, but those people put that together for our edification, for our learning. And you can really get a scope of the whole story of the Bible if you will read the story of the Bible using the NIV text, but arranged as a story. And and I urge you to do that. But anyway, as you read the story of God and his wrestling with his people over and over, he kept urging them reminding them what he had done for them. Why wouldn't they just trust him going forward? And I thought about that, and I'm thinking about that today, especially as it relates to our challenge to stretch in God's direction and have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And I've thought about that because it challenges all of us. It challenges me. It challenges you. We're at different places on our spiritual walk. That's that's fine, but it's still the same challenges, believe me. And I've thought about that. How do we respond when God comes along and challenges us? Now, some of us, myself included, we lived through a period of time when it seemed like all we heard, or maybe that's all we picked up, or (laughs) I hate to say this to all of us, but you'll get it. Some of us maybe needed to hear it, that we needed to smarten up, straighten up, fly right, all those kind of things. We kind of got used to the idea that, that we could never please God. Well, I'm not sure that's the message that was intended for us. I'm pretty sure God didn't intend that for us. But some of us, as we've encountered churches and so forth, and I heard from someone recently about someone in their family who'd had a bad experience with church, and I didn't know what I could do about that. I sure would like to sit down and have coffee with that person and say, well, tell me about your experience, and let's see if that really adds up to, measures up to, aligns with what God really wants you to hear. So as, as God stretches us, some of us are reluctant because we're just convinced God's going to take us out to the woodshed again and work us over because we haven't done what we should do. Well, as you look at the story of God working with his people, he clearly did that sometimes. But just as often, 
it seems to me we read the story of God pleading with his people to trust him. Oh, my people, just trust me. Don't you realize what I've done for you? It's as though God can't get through to our stubbornness, our hard-headedness, our hard-heartedness, and he wants to so that we will trust him. So I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking, because I challenged our church, and, you know, when you prepare the sermons, you get to challenge yourself, sometimes in ways that you think, ouch. And so it happened to me, too, and, and so... I was talking about some things and and, and the, the idea of being intentional. Are we intentional in actively doing the will of God? You know, all, all my life or much of my life, I don't know that I hear it every week or even every month, but people have wrestled with knowing the will of God. And it's as though if they know the will of God, they'll do the will of God. And that's kind of been, seems to me, the unspoken premise of that search for the will of God. And it occurred to me recently that, well, we know the will of God. We know what God wants us to do. He has told us in the pages of the Scripture, here's what you should do. And it's the things like the Ten Commandments. I mentioned the meeting God had with Moses and his people at Sinai, he gave them the Ten Commandments, and he said, do this. Intentionally, do these things. And avoid doing these things, like don't steal, and don't lie, those kinds of things. Well, then you go to Matthew, and you go to Mark, and you go to other places in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 13, we like to talk about that being the love chapter, and it does talk about love. And God reinforces this idea of covenant in the New Testament, but he says it's a covenant of love, not so much a covenant of law, which means not that the law has passed away, the law still stands, but it means that we do what we do out of a context of love for God and for our neighbors. And so I began to think about that, and I found myself saying to our church and to myself, and I was sure I heard the voice of God as I was working on this. And God says, well, would you be willing, and he said that to our church, would you be willing to pray that I would show you what I want you to do so you'll do it? And as you pray that, would you be willing to intentionally apply yourself to doing what I've already said is the will of God? And I found myself kind of going, oh, wow. You know, we talk about having confidence in God and that God wants our well-being, but, but I never really thought about it in the sense of do we purposefully, intentionally set out to do actively the will of God as we understand it. Now, what we don't know, we don't know, and I'm convinced God doesn't hold us responsible for what we don't know. He'll tell us plenty to know. That's not the problem. The problem isn't what we don't know. The problem is, will we do what we know to do? And instead of being paralyzed by, oh, I'm not sure I know the will of God, could we say, well, wait a minute, I know the will of God, and it's all these things, so I'm going to do these things and not worry about the other things that he hasn't explained to me yet or us yet. Do you get the idea? It's the idea of intentionality. And as I was talk, working on that and talking to myself, and as God was 
working me over a little bit on that, I found myself going, oh, wait a minute, do I really have that kind of confidence in God that I can say, yes, tell me what I need to hear because I want to intentionally do what you want me to do. And I think that's a growing edge. So I, so I bring that to all of us to say, can you do that? Will you do that? And, and I'm uh, doing that. I'm uh, finding myself stretched and I'm reminding myself that's a good thing. Because see, if we want to develop absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God, we have to stretch when God says, hey, how about this? And so when you find yourself coming up against something that, well, how should I say, that, that, you, that you're not sure you want to do because you're not sure what God might want to say, then just remind yourself that God is not in the business of making you miserable. He's in the business of restoring your life, making you new. Remember Psalm 23 says, He restores my soul. And you know, when he stretches us in his direction, that's what he's doing. So don't shy away from that. Take it seriously. And I think my church took it seriously when I said these things. It's a lot to digest, but we need to, we need to stretch that way. We need to let God pull us in his direction, stretch us in his direction. So I guess my thinking out loud on this is to say to you, when you find yourself challenged, sometimes we call it conviction, when God convicts us to stop doing something or to start doing something. And here I'm particularly leaning into this idea of intentionally doing the will of God because we know many things that are the will of God. So when God begins to say, intentionally do my will, then we need to to lean into that and say, okay, I'm going to do that. And it might result in some adjustments in our life, probably will. They might be a little unsettling, probably will, because we get used to things the way they are, don't we? And some of us, we really don't like change. But God is really just stretching us and making us more of what he knows we can be. And that's the challenge as we're thinking out loud today to try to sort out what is it that God that God is doing in our lives, and how can we respond appropriately? I really think we need to remember that God's every intention is toward our well-being. He wants to put us together in the best way we can be to give us the best life possible now and forever. The best life isn't just on hold until heaven. The best life God intended for us is intended now, to know him and to know his ways and to follow in the direction he leads, and do it on purpose. So, lean in. Take heart. Don't abandon the quest just because you're a little bit unsettled about what that means. Turn that unsettled feeling into anticipation for what God is wanting to do. Because if God wants to do something new and refreshing in your life, you are going to love it. That's the story of the Bible. It's not holding you back. It's releasing you into the future God sees for you and has for you. So can we agree to lean in when God says, hey, let's go this way. Hey, 
think about this. Hey, change this. Do this. Stop doing that. Yeah, we can do that. So let's do it. Well, that's kind of some beginning thinking out loud because I've been, I've been wrestling with this idea a little bit. And, and so I thought, well, maybe we ought to reconsider that some more before we get into some other things today. And yes, I haven't forgotten we're going to do some instant sermon stuff. We had um, a couple of weeks ago at church, and that's why I can't believe I forgot to bring that here. We did have an instant sermon session that was really quite interesting, quite challenging. Um, I found myself going away from it, wondering if I had adequately addressed some of the questions, and I'm pretty sure I didn't, but I did the best I could as we went along. We had a good conversation. But I want to bring some of those to us and, and have us think about them. But before I get to that, I was recently... Well, I was in a meeting and it challenged me to think about the Christians and politics a little bit. And then it challenged me with this idea of stretching in God's direction. Because the person who was doing the presenting talked about some of her experiences that she had had some years ago in the rough and tumble of an election campaign. And, um, well, to be quite straightforward, she lost the election. It was close, 2,000 votes, real close, but she lost. And there were a lot of things that go on in election campaigns, and she didn't tell us all about them, but she found herself really irritated, resentful of the other candidate that won for different reasons. And and believe me, I've seen enough, and maybe you have too, of election silly season stuff to know that people do things that they shouldn't do. And I don't know all of the things that went in and out of that, but she was really, really disappointed, really resentful, I guess is the right word, I would, as I went away from hearing that story. And, and God put it on her heart to do something special for the candidate that won that election that she lost to. And it was a big, big deal, big deal, involved a lot of money. And she called up the candidate and said, I want to do this for you, and did it. And she said from the moment she did that, all of her ill will, shall we say, toward that other candidate went away. And I thought about that. That that was a big thing. I mean, that takes a very big person to do what she did. you got to admire that. And she would not say she's perfect. She's not that kind of person at all from, from what I gathered hearing her talk and talking to her briefly afterwards. But God did something for her that changed her life related to that campaign when she intentionally did the will of God, intentionally took steps to do the will of God. So we need to do that. Now, that was in the political arena, and I know some of you are just going to be really reluctant to hear what I'm about to say, but don't go away. Don't go away. This is important, because if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we have to understand that the good news that the Bible gives touches every area of life, every area including what we call politics. Now, I know, I know and you know, that a whole lot of people have said we can't mix politics with Christian faith. We just can't. And I, for the life of me, I can't understand why they say that. Because I read the same Bible that they do, I think. And all through the Bible, there are political incidents. Things happen that we could rightly describe as political. I mean, they had kings in those days. Now, we don't have kings in our country like that, but we have people who have decision-making responsibility and power. And, and all of the stuff that went on with that, well, we have, to, we have to understand that was political. 
And there were political maneuverings in those days, just like there are today. The thing that I'm concerned about is that we as Christians, we've checked out of some of that stuff. And I keep trying to figure out why. On the one hand, I know why. It's the same temptation that I face. I just want to give up on it because those sorry rascals that get in office, they do some dumb things. And they advance some initiatives I can't, you know, my head explodes. Why would they do that? Uh, We're going through one of those right now that I'm involved with. I see locally the way things are, and I hear about the threats that are made to potential candidates. If you do this, we'll destroy you. And I'm dismayed by that because aren't we supposed to elect the best candidates not the candidates that are able to find favor with a few power brokers. And so it would be very easy for me to want to do what a lot of people want to do, just wash their hands of the whole situation and walk away. But you know, I read the Bible, and the Bible doesn't give me permission to do that because the Bible says I need to love my neighbor. And if I need to love my neighbor, I need to love the political power brokers or decision makers that just make my head explode, and I need to love my neighbors on my street or my community enough to not give up because I know that the nonsense these people are thinking about doing will harm them, and I don't want them harmed because the Bible says I need to love them, and so I need to put that into practice. And if I have the opportunity, and God gives me a limited opportunity to be involved and influence that, then I'm going to do it. I need to do it. I must do it because I have to wait for it intentionally do the will of God. So I want to remind you, if you're wrestling with this, that God does expect Christians to be involved at every level of our communities, including, yes, the politics. That, at baseline, at minimum, if you do nothing else, that means you vote every time there's an election. Your vote is especially meaningful during a primary election because many people don't vote. And it's during the primary that you often have the most opportunity to choose the best candidate. Now, what do I mean by the best candidate? Well, I've said it before. I'll keep saying it. It just makes so much sense to me. And everybody I talk to agrees with me. So as long as they're doing that, I hope you will too. But I want us to have a framework for identifying or evaluating the best candidates. And sometimes we look for people whose Christian faith matches ours. Well, what if the Race involves people, and neither one of them are claiming to be Christians. Then what do you do? So here's the best framework I've ever heard. It's simple, and I think it works. I haven't been able to find a situation where it didn't work. But we as followers of Jesus need to vote for the candidates that lessen evil. We don't look for perfect candidates. They aren't out there. If you and I were the candidates, we wouldn't be any more perfect than the ones that are candidates. But we can look at what they stand for and what they tell us they will do, and we can decide which one of them has a commitment to lessen evil. And that makes so much difference. So I don't want us to shrink from this. I want us to lean into it because I think God is calling the church to do that, contrary to what so many other people say. God God doesn't give us permission to walk away from his people, from the people he cares about, and he cares about the people in your community. And if we say we do, then we need to care about it in every level. So at minimum, we need to vote. And now, how do we make sense of that? Let me help you with that a little bit, too, because people get real nervous because they claim everything's political. And yeah, I get that. In my lifetime, things have become politicized to a fare thee well. 
All right, so everything becomes framed by some kind of political argument perspective, something. Well, I don't particularly like that. I think that's improper. I don't think that's a good description of things because many things, uh, dare I say most, dare I say all, yeah, I probably would say those, things have to do with right and wrong. There are good and bad choices. There are morally correct choices and morally incorrect choices. And what I mean by that is God tells us what's right and wrong. And if it's morally correct, it's right. And if it's morally incorrect, it's wrong. So we should embrace that concept, that framework on our decision making. But people have said it's political, so the church should stay out of it. And Christians have bought that because it's comfortable. They bought that because then they don't want to wrestle with the hard things. Friends, God never told us we shouldn't wrestle with the hard things. God never told us we could just walk away from the things that that we don't think we want to deal with. God calls us to be involved in the things that affect people and to do what we can to express love for them. So let me help you with this wrestling with politics. If you don't want to think about it as politics, and I don't blame you, I usually do not think about it as politics, I think about it as citizenship. So let me remind you, I think I've mentioned this before, but I probably need to keep saying it, and I, I, I don't say it as much as I probably should because I think people have heard it already and they're probably tired of hearing it, and they want to say, well, move on, tell us something we don't know already. Well, until we all know this, I guess I'm going to keep saying it. So keep in mind the contrast from what is political and what is good citizenship. Now, I think that's a good way to think about it, and I think you could help your friends at church think about it this way, and they might find some comfort and ability to engage in some of this stuff better if they think about it this way. There's nothing wrong with politics. Nowhere that I can see that the Bible condemns politics. It condemns bad political behavior, for sure, and it commends good political behavior, but it doesn't, as far as I can tell, criticize or tell us to stay away from calling something or being involved in politics. And there are some good-hearted people involved in politics. Make sure we understand that. But I think about politics this way. Politics is the pursuit of decision-making power. Now, I know sometimes Christians get nervous about people having power. Well, we just have to come to grips with that's the reality of life. There will always be people who have power, from police officers to enforce the law to medical people who have the power to write you the prescription or to not write you the prescription. There's all kinds of varying levels of power. Political people have power to make decisions that match that office. So if you have a mayor in your town, that mayor has the opportunity and the responsibility to make certain decisions. That's political power. Influence, you can call it. Nothing wrong with that. It's how you use it that determines whether it's right or wrong. So that's politics, the pursuit of political power, the pursuit of decision-making authority. That pursuit is legitimate. Now, there's also citizenship. And I think that citizenship is the way Christians should think about this. And every time you hear politics, think citizenship. Citizenship, as I've tried to help people think about it, is the pursuit of, are you ready for this? Citizenship is the pursuit of righteous government. And don't we all want righteous government? That means we want the people who want the political power, and believe me, most of us do not want that responsibility. 
I understand that too. But some people want to take that responsibility. And our responsibility as it relates to our citizenship responsibility is to elect people and support people in the pursuit of righteous government. Now, some people are going to say government can't be righteous. Oh, yes, it can, if it's populated by righteous people. And that's where you and I, as people of faith, have our best opportunity is to challenge people to be righteous people, to do the right things. And that's the difference between citizenship and politics. And if you think politics is something you don't want to be involved in, well, then think of citizenship, the pursuit of righteous government. Don't you want righteous government? Don't you want the people that populate City Hall in your town to be righteous people and to conduct themselves to bring about righteous government? Don't you want the members of your state legislature to be righteous people and do the right things? Don't you want the governor in your state to be a righteous person and do the right things? Well, that's the point that I'm trying to make. Politics is one thing, and if you want to be a politician, then you have to pursue a political office, and you are pursuing political power, the responsibility to make decisions. But if you're interested in citizenship, then what you're doing as you navigate all of this is you're pursuing righteous government. Imagine a world of righteous government. Well, that's what we'll have one day when God makes all the wrong things right. And if that's something to look forward to, why couldn't we be about loving God and loving people so much that we pursue righteous government here and now? Do you think that's impossible? I don't. All things are possible with God, and we, his people, should have absolute confidence in his trustworthiness that we can pursue his agenda in the midst of being the very best of citizens. Well, we're going to come back, and I'm finally going to get to instant sermon. I'm Pastor Rick. Hold on. Take a breath. We'll be right back. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the Wellness Company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Lifestyle changes are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support cholesterol and blood pressure with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD loud for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud for 25% off. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced. These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system to keep our bodies free from harmful bacteria, viruses, and toxins become less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. 
Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. The buildup of spike proteins is dangerous to your health. Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body, removing the spike proteins, allowing your body to repair from within. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. AmericaOutloud.news is beaten to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, troubled, misled, joyful, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. We're back to Thinking Out Loud on America Out Loud. This is Faith Is, where we understand that faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and we're going to continue talking today and use this idea of instant sermon to kind of guide our thinking and, and let God use that to stretch us in His direction. Now, we talked about a lot of things in the first hour, and some of that will act, actually bleed over into this part of the conversation, but I want you to understand what instant sermon is and how I'm trying to apply it here in, in this context, which is quite different than at church. So at church, I'm the pastor at Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Some years ago, we decided that on the fifth Sunday of a month, we would do something different. We called it, and I think this came from another idea. Somebody brought the idea to me. I had seen the idea a long time before, but never really took it seriously until this person said we should try it. And so I said, okay, let's try it. So we call it Instant Sermon. Now what that means is on the fifth Sunday of a month, so any month that has five Sundays, and we're catching up here because December would have been our time to do that, and we got all scrambled because of the holiday schedule. Our church had to do things differently. It's just different at the end of the year, and that's fine. We can deal with that. But this is a little late in the day for you to get this or in the month, but we're still going to do some instant sermon stuff. Instant sermon is simple. The idea is anybody that wants to comes to church and they bring 
a thought, a question, an idea, scripture verse they're curious about or wrestling with, and they put it on a simple three by five card, drop it in the offering when the ushers pass the offering, and then we collect them and we talk about them. I try to go through all of them. So far, I've been successful, although it has pushed the length of our service a little bit. And so I've got to be careful about that. I don't have that same problem here, except that we do run out of time. But at any rate, so then we just take the cards and we talk about them. I I tell people it's not stump the pastor because that's too easy. And they all understand that. And in spite of that, I often hear people say, oh, stump the pastor Sunday's coming up. Well, ha, ha, ha. Uh, If I don't know the answer, I haven't been reluctant to say I don't know the answer. So anyway, I want to plunge in. These are real questions that I got just this past Instant Sermon Sunday that we did earlier this month at our church. And I thought they were really insightful questions, many of them. We won't get to all of them, I can be sure of that. But we will get to some of them, and hopefully you'll find it helpful. Now the first one, and this was just, this happened to be the first one that I got on Instant Sermon Sunday a couple of weeks ago. And so I, when I recorded them and, and keep track of them, this is the first one top of the list. So I thought, well, let's, let's start with it. And so the, the person who wrote the question, by the way, people don't have to give me their names. Sometimes they do. I tell people that you don't have to, but if you want to have a follow-up conversation or something, you can put your name on there, or you can come and talk to me later. It, it doesn't matter. But anyway, they, they cited 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And so I want to read those so that we all understand what we're talking about. 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version, updated edition. Verse 13. For the Lord's sake, be subject to every human authority, whether to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to praise those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing right you should silence the ignorance of the foolish. So that's verses 13 and 14. Now, one of the things that we need to remember, and I like what I heard recently, someone said, never read a Bible verse. Now, what they meant by that was never read a Bible verse in isolation from, uh, from its context. And we understand, I think we've probably talked about that here from time to time, that context is important. And it's important here as well. And I don't know exactly what's going on here, but the question is, was this. How do we square what the Bible says with periods in history, including our own, when evil is rampant in government and Christians are severely persecuted? That's a very good question. Do we always, without question, follow what the government tells us to do? How do we deal with evil that's out there? And how do we navigate those kind of challenging times? They had those times in In biblical times, when Jesus was walking the earth, they had them after that as the church was developing. We have them now. How do we put that together? Now, some people will cite a verse like mentioned here in 1 Peter chapter 2, and they'll say, well, that means we need to do what the government says without question because we respect their authority. They'll cite Romans 12. 12, oh, I don't remember the chapter now. Anyway, and they'll say, well, we have, to, we have to be subject to the government authorities because authority comes from God. Okay, so let's, let's think about that. And this is why we ha- can't read a single Bible verse without thinking about what's the whole message of the Bible. Yes, it does appear that we have admonitions in the New Testament to cooperate with civil government without question. It says that right here. 
for the Lord's sake, be subject to every human authority. Okay, I get that. Well, if we go back a couple of verses, we find some other evidence that helps us, information that helps us. So in verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the desires of the flesh that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that though they malign you as evildoers, they may see your honorable deeds and glorify God when he comes to judge. And then we come to verse 13, For the Lord's sake be subject to ever, every human authority, whether to the emperor as supreme or to governors sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to praise those who do right. So one of the things that we have to remember as Christians and this is not violated by this verse or verses or any place else in the Bible, is that we always do what God says before anybody else. And if there is a conflict between what God says to do and what somebody else requires us to do, we always stand up for what God says. Always. No question. We have to be careful that we interpret it all correctly. I get that. But God is always first. Parenthetically, can I say this phrase is being passed around these days that says family first is not correct. God first. Can I say that again? God comes first. We need to get that straight. Many people are going to find themselves in a world of hurt because they put family first instead of putting God first. All right, so that's a little side note, not exactly on the question, but related because the question is, do we ever find ourselves in a place where we just have to do what the government says no matter what? Well, let's think about that. In the book of Acts, I believe it is, there's a story of some of the early Christian leaders, the early apostles. can't remember if it was Peter and Paul. could have been. Sorry, I just don't remember the names. But these guys were picked up by the government for preaching, for, for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that he came and changes people's lives. They put them in prison, beat them, and they told them, knock it off, don't do this anymore, and they released them. They had no sooner gotten out than they went back to preaching the good news of Jesus. And they said, we have to do what God says, not what people tell us to do. They recognized their responsibility for God was above human authority. Well, we don't question that. So when we run up against conflicts between God and human authority, we obey God. Let me take you back to one of my favorite stories. In fact, I think it's the, the story that ought to inform us from the Old Testament about salvation above all the other stories in the Old Testament. The story of the people of God coming out of Egypt. Well, they were led out of Egypt by God, and God used a man named Moses to lead them out. You remember that, okay? Now, Moses was born in Egypt to Hebrew parents. At the time that he was born, the Pharaoh, the king, you might say, of Egypt, the, the guy that was in charge, the supreme authority in Egypt, had given instructions that all of the baby boys were to be killed when they were born. All the Hebrew baby boys, I should say, were to be killed when they were born. They were to be executed. Well, guess what? God's people said, not so fast, Pharaoh, we're not killing our babies. And they didn't including Moses' mother, who hid Moses until he was 
growing old enough that he couldn't be hidden any longer because he was making too much noise and it was obvious there was a baby around. So, you remember the story? She fashioned a small basket, waterproofed it, made it so it would float and put it in the Nile River. And lo and behold, it was found by Pharaoh's daughter and Moses was saved. Now, over and over, not just in that story, but in other instances, the Bible tells us that the Hebrew midwives did not kill the baby boys. They let them live. Pharaoh didn't like that. It annoyed him. But they obeyed God rather than the Pharaoh, and God rewarded them with families of their own. Very important to understand that. So don't ever let anyone lead you astray that we obey human authority more than we obey God. If there is ever a conflict, and we've been very blessed for most of the history of our country, that there hasn't been a conflict between God and human authority because our country was founded on biblical principles and people who understood that. We face it more and more today because today we see so many people trying to say, and indeed outright saying, that what God says is wrong is right and what God says is right is wrong. And so they're flipping everything inside out and upside down. It's going to become more and more challenging, I think, for us to follow God faithfully. But that is still what God expects us to do. We still put him first. All right, the next question, actually a couple of questions in in one about the same topic. But the, the question writer put it this way. Is it normal to doubt at times what is the best way to handle those things? Well, I think from what we talked in the first part of the program, it's normal to, to wonder, to doubt if, if God has our well-being in, in mind. When he stretches us in a direction we, we find a little unsettling, then it's normal to say, hey, hold on a minute, what's going on? It's normal from time to time to hear things, and, and there are always people that are trying to cast doubt on the story of the Bible and, and begin to say, well, if that's so, then wow. Well, so how do we handle this kind of stuff. I don't think it's abnormal to doubt. I think many Christians down through history have given testimony to their seasons of doubt. And every now and then, you will find someone who says doubt is a gift. Whoa, that doesn't sound right, does it? Well, think about it. If there's something that happens, some piece of information that you come across that causes you a bit of doubt, Isn't that a gift to spur you to explore that and find out if it's so? And many times people have taken that, not all all the time. Some people just run with their doubts and they get in a spiritual ditch, have a crash and burn moment that lasts a long time, sometimes their whole life. So it's not unusual or abnormal to have doubt. I don't think doubt should be a regular occurrence in our lives because we're absolutely trying to develop confidence and trust in God. It's not like I expect doubt all the time. But what I have noticed and learned is that when someone casts doubt on some important aspect of Christian faith, if I explore it a little bit more, I find out that, well, they're not even close to to putting any doubt in my mind. Sometimes a headline will get my attention. I read the article, and, and, and the article it doesn't even line up with the headline at all. So when you come across those kind of things, the best thing to do is to search out solid answers to the questions that doubt raises in your mind. 
Now, you can ask the Lord to guide you. I believe he will. And you can talk to people who maybe know something about that subject that can help you sort it out. So if, I'm just going to pull this crazy idea out of the air, okay? So if someone presents something out of the discipline of rocket science that seems to cast doubt on the truthfulness of the Bible, I'm going to have a little challenge with that because I'm not a rocket scientist. I don't understand all of the things related to rocket science. So it might cause me to say, hmm, I don't know what to do about this. So one of the things that I could do is I could go find a rocket scientist to answer that question. Now, you might say, it's true for me. I live in Florida, not far from the Kennedy Space Center, but I don't know any rocket scientists. So how can I find a rocket scientist to help me? Well, guess what? We have a gift that is sometimes not exactly a gift called the Internet, and you can do a search and see if there's a rocket scientist out there who's a follower of Jesus who will explain what's going on with the alleged doubt and perhaps show you that it's nowhere close to causing doubt or to causing any question about what God has told us. So don't run away from doubt. Solve it. Resolve it. Look into it. Don't be afraid. Now, over and over, God tells us, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of doubt. It can be a plague. I get that. And if you still wrestle with it, humble yourself. Go to your pastor. Go to the elders of your church and ask them to pray for you. Now, they will help you discern whether this is doubt or something else. They will challenge you, I hope, to to grow over it and through it and out of it. Because sometimes people get stuck, and you may know someone like this. I hope not. But then they use these kind of doubts to manipulate a lot of attention to themselves. Well, if you have wise elders in your church, they will see through that, and they will challenge that person to say, you know, you need to get over this because you're just using this to manipulate the situation and get attention for yourself, and we're not going down that road. God has given you help for this, and you need to accept it. And then, well, will people accept it? I don't know. But we have to challenge ourselves. That's how we stretch in God's direction, isn't it? And, and perhaps, perhaps it's you standing in the need of prayer right now. And I say this about doubt. And you've been using doubt to manipulate people. And God is convicting you that you've been doing that. Because let me give you a little secret about doubt. There's no end to asking the question, why? Every time you get an answer to that question, why, you can formulate another question that starts with why. It is endless. And if that's where you're trapped, my word for you is get over yourself and trust God. You're just using that to manipulate and say, oh, poor me, I struggle so much. God is not the author of your struggle, but he is the author of your strength. Do you want to be strong in the Lord or do you want to manipulate things out of weakness so that you can get pity and sympathy? I'm telling you, and I don't know you, but you need to get over that. That is not honoring God. And one day that will shipwreck your soul because it'll lead you in the wrong direction. Okay, well, you know, maybe I need to say some of those kind of things because your pastor has to be careful about that because he wants or she wants you to hear what they're saying. And I do too. 
but maybe I can speak the truth in a way that somebody else would have a little more trouble speaking to you. All right, so the next question. This is a good one. This is a, a very good one, very pertinent to a lot of people, a lot of thinking. The question is simple and, and interesting and, and kind of insightful in the way that they phrase it. So why did God allow St. Paul to preach the imminent return of Christ? And then in parenthesis, they ask the question, an untruth. Okay, let's unpack that a little bit and see what we can learn from that. Now, they don't cite any particular passage in the New Testament. So if we allow the question writer to to say, okay, Paul preached that Jesus would, would return soon, then what's going on that that was a long time ago and Jesus didn't come back soon? as we understand, soon. So is that an untruth? Well, I don't think that's an untruth. I don't think Paul was preaching a lie or whoever would have been doing that. And again, they don't cite a specific passage, so I don't know. Uh, I can't think of one to, to say, yes, Paul did preach that Jesus would come back in the next few weeks. I do know that Generally speaking, in New Testament times, they believed Jesus would return soon. They did not believe it would be an extended number of years like it has been. Why they believed that, I'm not sure I know exactly the reason for that. I expect they were living in the kind of hope that a lot of people have lived in because they realized the world they lived in was a mess and it needed help. And they needed Jesus to come back, so they believed that he would come back to make all the wrong things right. And so they lived in light of that hope. It's also important, I think we should acknowledge, because Jesus gave us this teaching as well, that being ready for his return is paramount. And so reminding people that it could be at any moment does tend to spur readiness. All right, so that's important for us to realize that Jesus really does want us to be ready because we don't know. And remember, Jesus himself said he didn't know when he'd be back. Only the Father knows and he's not telling the rest of us. So it could be. It could be before we finish this program. I have no idea. But I do know we need to be ready. I also know that in in respect to this person's question, that back when I was uh, younger, how should I say, probably I would describe myself as a young teenager, maybe a little younger than that, I certainly heard the church's message that was very loud and very clear at the time. Get ready. It's a fearsome thing to not be ready when God returns. And we heard all the stories about that, some from the Bible, some from imagination, all designed to, I believe they intended it in the correct way of the term, to put the fear of God in us. I'm not sure it came across that way to me all the time. It put just plain fear into me many times. But I think what they intended was to put the fear of God in us so we would be ready. Now, did they preach something that wasn't true? Well, no, they didn't. It was important to be ready. We don't know when he would come back, and we need to be ready when he comes. So they were exactly right about that. They were not sugarcoating that at all. Maybe today people think we sugarcoat it too much because we take a little longer view of those things. I I guess you could accuse us of that. I don't think we intend to do that. I think we've learned or tried to learn from history. 
And I know there are seasons of emphasis in the church. That seems to be true in the life of God's people. You can kind of trace some of those seasons of emphasis. Like, for example, back in the 80s, I remember a lot of emphasis in church ministry on counseling, that counseling seemed to be the answer to the problems people were encountering. Now we don't see that quite as much. And there was the emphasis on worship as being the answer to that. We don't see that emphasis quite as much as we did then. So we understand that some of these kind of things are seasons the church goes through. But it's not untruthful to say Jesus could be back at any moment. It is absolutely the truth, and we need to face up to that. And I'll say to you what I said to my congregation at the end of Sunday service last week. I said, may God deliver us from evil, for we live in a world of evil. And I say that to you this week and every week. May God himself deliver you from evil. Well, I'm Pastor Rick. You've been listening to Faith Is, and I'm so glad you're here. We'll be back next week. Let's talk again then and stretch in God's direction. Amen. Amen.